Hello, Common Ground. Uh, my name is Luke. If you're joining us for the first time, it's such a treat to have you uh, with us today. In fact, I think you've joined us for a fantastic message. Today, we're looking at, well, we're looking more closely at Jesus and what it looks like to follow him. I'm sure those are some questions you've got in your mind if you're investigating what it means to follow Christ. And so, uh, Dive in and uh, open your heart and see what Christ might say to you. Uh, thrilled today to be back in the book of Mark. Man, it's been such an incredible journey to be able to follow Mark as he leads us on this journey of discovery to, to learn really who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him. Last week, we were up on the mountaintop with Jesus and his closest disciples as Christ was transfigured on the mountain before them. Uh, next, week, next week, we look at one of the most profound teachings, I think, in all of the scriptures maybe even in all of the world. But today, today we're coming down off the mountain with Jesus and Peter, James and John and we're stepping back into kind of real life, right? Uh, to let you know where we're going, a little roadmap, if you will, for uh, what today looks like. We're gonna be sharing the big idea and then I really wanna be asking and answering two questions. What do we learn about who Jesus is? And the second question, what do we learn about following him? What do we learn about who Jesus is and what do we learn about following him? Let's turn our attention to Mark chapter nine and uh, we're gonna read from verse 14 to 29. Where are we in the story? Well, Peter, James and John have just come down the mountain with Jesus and they're stepping back into the real world of ministry. Let's read from verse 14 together. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and they ran up to him and they greeted him. This is Jesus coming back. And he asked them, Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. Really, he's describing epilepsy there. And so I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. So he, answer, so, so he answered them. This is Jesus answered them. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that some of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him up and he rose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's do just that together. Let's pray. Father, as we come before your word today, will you show us more of who Jesus is and will you show us what, more of what it looks like to follow him? We ask that as we read your word, 
you'll cause faith, faith to rise up in our hearts that we'll be able to live like you've called us to live. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, what a great piece of scripture. I loved, I've loved just personally journeying as I've prepared this message. Let me share with you up front the big idea behind today's message. The big idea as we're in the middle of our Fill the City campaign is this, the kind of people who will fill the city of Cape Town with the message, life and fame of Jesus. This is our mission statement of common ground, if you will. The kind of people who will fill the city of Cape Town with the message, life and fame of Jesus are those who, drum roll, who live by prayer and faith. Those who live by prayer and faith. This common ground is we are those who live by prayer and faith and want to live more by prayer and faith. Uh, Before we begin, stop for a second. Prayer and faith. Why don't you check your pulse quickly? Not your literal physical pulse, but check your prayer and faith pulse. How, How are these things alive in your life at the moment? It's my hope today that as we journey into this text, you would see your prayer and faith levels increase as a result of seeing more of who Jesus is and and how we live out our followership of him on the matters of prayer and faith. And the way we're gonna do that today is answer, as I said, two questions. Number one, what do we learn about Jesus? Number two, what do we learn about following him? Let's dive right into question number one. What do we learn about Jesus? And I'm gonna share with you three things today. Number one, the first thing we learn in this text is Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is compassionate. And, uh, and here we read, and someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able. Come with me. Let's step into the crowd that day. One of the great ways of reading the scriptures, especially these narrative sections, is to imagine yourself in there. Try and and smell the smells. Try and feel the feelings. Try and be present with what the disciples were experiencing on that day as Mark takes us into that world. There's this hustle and bustle and confusion and a crowd and arguing. And somehow, after Jesus asked the question, it's the voice of a father who managed to, to speak out over everyone and, and everyone kind of hushes down as Jesus and this man's father begin to interact. This man had brought his son to Jesus and here's this boy who's clearly possessed by this evil spirit that makes him mute and what looks like epilepsy. It's severe. It's severe. In fact, so much so that Mark, who wrote the shortest of the four gospels and shortest by a long way, Mark records four times in this narrative, this boy's condition. It's like Mark wants us to understand this was miserable. Mark wants wants us to know just how desperate the plight was of this father and this young boy. It wouldn't just have been a physical physical struggle and suffering. It would have been uh, a, a social one too as he would have experienced life as an outcast, not being able to function and be part of normal society. Others would have been weary of him and nervous of of him. And so this dad had done everything he can to try and bring his boy to to, to healing, really. He'd come to the disciples and that hadn't worked out. He'd he'd almost reached the end, you, you could say, of what he's able to do. I think it's worth stopping there for a second. I think because... As much as we step into that story, I think it's our story in many ways as well at the moment. COVID has brought many of us, myself included, many of us across our city to realize 
the extent about what, the extent to which we really can control everything, the extent to which we really are in control of our lives. COVID has reminded us that we as human beings are finite. We are limited. We are vulnerable creatures. I think for many of us before this came along, we lived in this kind of illusion of we're the masters of our own destiny and control of everything that, you know, in our lives, that we can engineer the outcomes that we desire. But actually we realize so quickly through this pandemic that we live in a world with problems that are beyond our ability to fix. And it's in these moments that if I reflect on my own life, I'm so tempted to kind of turn inwards to, 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 to stray into strife, to go to sleeplessness and anxiousness. Instead, what we see this father do, I'm sure he had moments like that as well, don't get me wrong, but instead, instead of turning inwards in this place, he turns upwards and he looks to Christ. He who is finite turns rather than inwards in his infinite, in his finiteness, sorry, turns outwards and upwards towards Christ who is infinite. And, and, and let's see what happens. Verse 20. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. I think it's worth pointing out here that uh, sometimes it gets worse before it gets better, right? Sometimes in our journey with Christ towards where he's taking us to, there's, there's moments that are lower than the ones we were even in. And, and Jesus said to the father, how long has this been happening to him? Dad, tell me, how long has this been going on? You know what, as I read that question, I don't think it's so much a diagnostic question Jesus is asking as much as I think it's a compassionate one. Really, I think the best way to understand that is you think counseling and just listening. It's almost as if Jesus says to the dad, so how long have you, how long have you been living like this? Your life is really hard. Tell me about it. And, and, and it's like when Jesus asks this question, the floodgates of years of affliction and suffering just kind of come pouring out as he spews it all on Jesus. The father said, it's been going on from childhood. It's often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. And then he says this, he says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us. If you can do anything, have compassion on us. The word here for compassion is splang, hang on. hang, okay. Before you shut me down, uh, just try say it yourself in your own home, wherever you write. Say that one out loud. But that's the Greek word for compassion, right? And it means this. It means I'm not so much interested in that we pronounce it correctly, but I want us to understand exactly what it means. It means to be moved in your inward parts. It means to be moved in your inward parts. Think with me. You've, imagine you heard some terrible news about someone you know. And it's not just that you're sad for them, it's that something almost physically in your belly, in your guts almost, it moves because of the pain you've, you know, you're moved inside physically. This is what this, this word means. And this is exactly what Jesus felt when he heard and saw the plight of this man. It's not the first and the only time we see in the gospels where Jesus felt this. It says when Jesus looked out upon the crowds, he had compassion on them for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. There were instances in, in, in the gospels as well where Jesus seeing someone suffering says Jesus was moved with compassion. 
Jesus is compassionate. That's part of who he is. We're asking the question, what do we learn about Jesus? Number one, Jesus is compassionate. Number two, we see too in this passage that Jesus is able. Jesus is able. Verse 23 says, And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Jesus almost takes exception to his if you can prayer. He calls him on it. He says, what do you mean if you can And he corrects him. He says, all things are possible for one who believes. And that means exactly what it says. All things are possible for one who believes. Jesus is strong. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is able. The problem in the situation is not Jesus' ability. It's not Jesus' compassion or his willingness. What's missing here is the faith in the situation. And so Jesus says, all things are possible to one who believes. We see that Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is able. And the third thing we see here is that Jesus is moved by faith. Jesus is moved by faith. Jesus begins to teach him about faith. And it's like he says, there's a difference between if you can and belief. There's a difference between if you can prayers. God, you know, if, if you get around to, I know you've got a lot going on, God. Um, but you know, if you could find a little bit of time, maybe you could get around to doing this thing. Yeah, it would be nice, God. There's a difference between if you can and God, I believe you, faith. God isn't moved clearly here. Jesus isn't moved by if you can prayers. We see Jesus is moved by faith. Jesus said, all things are possible to those who believe. And then upon hearing this, immediately the father of the child cries out. It's like he takes a risk. He takes a step. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. I love this little nugget of this passage. It's like he, he... It turns out this man does have faith. It's not much faith. It's little faith, but but he does have some faith and he turns his faith on Jesus. I believe, help my unbelief. What a beautiful statement this this man makes. He says, I've got a little bit of faith, but God, will you help me with my doubts, please? And I think we can learn something of faith here. That true faith is aware of its small size and its inadequacy. This man had very little faith and he didn't pretend otherwise. I mean, it had been years of dealing with this issue. Time after time, excitement and disappointment when it didn't work out. And his faith was at an all-time low. But what we learn here, it's not so much about how much faith he had. It's that he took the little bit of faith he did have and he put it on Jesus. I'll say it again. It's not so much about how much faith he had but it's that he took the little faith he did have and he put it all on Jesus. And time after time, you read the scriptures, you see that nothing moves God's hand more in the scriptures than faith does. I think you could almost say as well uh, with that, that nothing pleases his heart as much as faith does as well. It's just, it's just overwhelming as you read the scriptures. It's faith that moves the hand of God. It's faith that pleases the heart of God. And, and, it, and you know what, if we're honest, this is exactly the kind of thing, faith, that diminishes when we start to feel we're in control of our lives, when we start to feel and live like everything that's happening in our life is under our control. It's like the faith muscle it goes into a state of atrophy and our faith shifts off of Christ and onto ourselves and how we've got this under control. And it's often in these situations that are beyond our ability to fix that we're freshly 
roused to the reality that we're not in control as this father is and we're desperately in need of Christ. And it's these moments that should be indicative of all of our lives that we put our faith on Christ. This father, we read here, he cried out. He cried out. He, he, he crosses the line of faith, not when he amasses enough faith, but when he leverages the, the faith that he does have and risks everything and he puts it on Jesus. I think the key here is that true faith is knowing you don't have enough faith, but it's taking that which you have and putting it onto Jesus. And that's what we see in this father here. We see the story continue in verse 25. And Jesus saw that the crowd came running together and he, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he's dead. I said again, in this passage, sometimes it's like as you read it, things get worse before they get better. But Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him up and he arose. What we see here is Jesus who is compassionate, Jesus who is able is moved by the faith, little faith of this man. And what Mark is showing us here is it's faith that closes the gap between human inadequacy and God's power. Faith closes the gap between human inadequacy and God's powers. I prepped this, I read a fantastic commentary by Edwards and Edwards says this. Uh, he says that faith is the sole bridge between the frailty of humanity and the all sufficiency of God is faith. The sole bridge between the frailty of humanity and the all sufficiency of God is faith. What have, we, what have we done today so far? We've asked the question, what do we learn about Jesus? What have we learned about Jesus? That Jesus is compassionate, Jesus is able, and Jesus is moved by faith. Okay, so let's transition now to our second question. What do we learn about following Jesus? For you and I as Christ followers, number one, we, again, three things we're gonna see. Number one, follow Jesus into ministry. Follow Jesus into ministry. Now, just to be clear, I'm not talking about like full-time ministry in the church, quit your job, sign up for a pastoral team. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in your network, in your neighborhood, in your life, in your sphere, follow Jesus into ministry. Read verse 14 with me. And they came to the disciples. This is Jesus, Peter, James, and John coming back down off the mountain. They came to the disciples and they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. While Jesus was on the top of the mountain, we don't know all that the disciples were up to. We don't know, uh, probably because Peter is the source of the gospel of Mark, who, who kind of dictated this to Mark. And Peter was up on the mountain, so he wasn't there with the other disciples, right? And so while they're up on the mountain, the kind of left behind disciples got on with the job of ministry, it seems. They gave themselves to extending the kingdom of light in the world of darkness, right? And, and, and notice that Jesus doesn't tell them that they were wrong. No, they got on with what Jesus was preparing them to do. That's what Jesus was doing. He was preparing them to continue ministry when he was gone. In fact, uh, there's four gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, which we're reading now, Luke and John. And Luke also wrote a subsequent, a part two to the gospel of Luke, which is called the book of Acts. The first verse in the book of Acts reads like this. In my former book, O Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. 
Uh, By implication, uh, the ministry now began in the disciples, now continues, but now not through Jesus directly, but through his followers. Jesus was readying his followers to continue his ministry. Jesus' goal for them was that they would be able to do as he does and continue the ministry when he's ascended to heaven, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so they are following Jesus into ministry. So too for you and I. In fact, it's even the three disciples who go up the mountain with Jesus. The point of going up the mountain with Jesus was never that they would stay on top of the mountain. It's not that mountaintop experiences are where we live. I mean, Jesus is, if you missed last week, Jesus is gloriously transformed before them. Literally, the glory of Christ is almost revealed. It's like it's uncovered and it radiates out from him so gloriously bright that they'd never seen anything like it in their lives. They're up on the mountain. It's amazing. It's like heaven has come down to earth. Peter says to him, says, Jesus, can I build some tents? Can we just stay here in this glorious moment forever? And Jesus says, no. And and, and what we read here is that Jesus leads them back down off the mountain into their world. And they come straight down off the mountain into this terrible conflict situation. I mean, there's literally an evil spirit that's taken over a young boy's life and is convulsing before them. You couldn't imagine two more starkly contrasting situations. I mean, the the heights of the mountain and kind of the depths of evil right here. It's like going from the steam room into the ice bath, right? It's a shock. The point is this, that mountaintop experiences with God don't just lead us upwards to him, but they should lead us outwards to others as well. It's, it's mountaintop experiences that lead us deeper into worship, but should lead us wider into mission. This is what we see here. In fact, Michael Eden says it far better than I ever could. He says this, what, what is the use of seeing the glory of God with their own eyes if they then are not able to be of any use to people when they're in need? You and I are to have these mountaintop experiences with God. Unbelievable, yes. But we're not meant to live there. Life for the Christ follower is about taking that experience out into our world to push back darkness. Often we have these powerful moments with God or or even seasons of incredible fruitfulness as we serve Him, only to step straight from there into difficult challenges in life. I wanna say this today. Don't let this unsettle you. Don't let this unsettle you. Don't be surprised. It doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. This is life for the Christ follower. It doesn't mean that the mountaintop wasn't real either. No, we step out into ministry. The solution when that happens isn't scramble back up the mountain. The solution is it's an invitation to growth, an invitation to prayer and to faith. It's an invitation to appropriate the experience of the mountaintop into your character and into the crisis in the world in which you find yourself. This is what life is for the Christ follower. We're answering the question, what do we learn about following Jesus? And the first thing we see is follow Jesus into ministry. The second thing we see here about following Jesus is realize we don't have all that it takes. Realize we don't have all that it takes. Verse 18. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. This is the Father speaking to Jesus. I asked them to cast it out, and they were not able. Friends, we have to settle this today. 
we have to settle this today. They, like us, are not able. We do not have all that it takes to do all that God has called us to do. We do not have all that it takes. This is a critical lesson in our followership and our discipleship of Jesus. We do not have all that it takes and that's okay. And that's okay. It's all right because prayer and faith, again, bridge the gap between our inadequacies and our lack of ability and Christ's power. Prayer and faith bridge this gap, which brings me to my third point. Third point is rely on God through faith and prayer. Rely on God through faith and prayer. Verse 28, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast this out? I'm sure they'd been racking their brains. Why, why, what, was it this, was it this, was it this, was it this? And Jesus says to him, this kind, this kind, what a brilliant little phrase. It tells us that there's gonna be, there's gonna be moments in our lives and opposition, uh, this kind of, of evil, this kind of opposition, this kind of battle you're in, sometimes in, implying there's various kinds. Some of them are like speed bumps. You go right over with a little bump. Others, others, of, them, others of them are like walls, Right? This kind is like a wall and it can't, it can't be driven out by anything other than prayer, Jesus says. And here's the thing. Jesus will lead us from time to time into tasks and into assignments that are beyond our abilities to do. But through prayer and through faith, we acknowledge our inadequacies and we depend and we rely on God. And it's in placing our trust and our dependence on Him for His intervention that the gap between our inadequacies and God's power is closed. And you know what happens? It also shows that this is Christ's ministry and not our own. It, it, it points and sheds the light to Jesus rather than hogs it for ourselves. Friends, the disciples don't have all that it takes. You don't have all that it takes. And it's not your fault. And it's not a cause for a lack of faith. The disciples don't lose faith because they don't have what it takes. In fact, in fact, it's a call to put their faith on Jesus. Our inadequacy, properly understood, should lead us to Christ in prayer and faith rather than diminish our faith. Prayer and faith go hand in hand. In fact, we could say that asking prayer, the fancy word is supplication prayer, is faith that has been turned on to God for specific requests. Asking prayer is faith that has been put onto God for specific requests. Maybe we can ask a question. So how do you grow your faith? How do you grow your faith? I don't think faith is the same as kind of positive thinking or psyching yourself up or, or kind of mustering this momentary decision kind of thing. You know, I think, I think I mean, it's really interesting if you look at this passage, Jesus doesn't seem to pray. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you saw that, but it's interesting when you look at the passage, Jesus himself doesn't seem to pray. He just straight up rebuked the evil spirit, but he never seems to pray. Why is that? I, I think the best answer to it that I, that I can come up with is that Jesus already lived a life of prayer. 
Jesus consistently lived a life of prayer. And it's Jesus's authority and Jesus's effectiveness in ministry were because of a lifestyle of prayer. It's living in this place of communion and dependence on God all the time. That meant in these moments of crises, there was sufficient prayer and faith that had gone in before to enable Jesus to be able to plow through this wall, so to speak. It's a life of prayer, which leads to faith. You want to increase your, your, your faith? Pray more. Go to God in prayer. We see if you want to increase your faith as well, Romans 10 verse 17 gives us another key as well. We read that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Her faith comes to us as we hear the word of Christ. Faith grows as we fill ourselves with the word of God. It's exactly what happens in the story, isn't it? As Jesus says to this father, Jesus says to him, if I can, he says, all things are possible for one who believes. All things are possible for one who believes. As the man hears the word of Christ, all things are possible. It's as if the faith in him is activated and switched on. Not great faith. Yes, it's not a huge amount, but it's the little bit of faith he has is activated as he hears the word of Christ. Jesus says, all things are possible. Boom, faith comes to this man. It's amazing how in you and our faith comes to us from the word of God. Just last night in our life group, a friend of ours was telling us just of a time in her life when she was going through an, just an immense period of suffering. This was really hard and grappling with some huge disappointments uh, that had come her way. And she said to me, or she said to us, there was a moment where someone came to me. He said, it actually happened in a shopping mall. I'm assuming it was a friend of hers came to her and just read the word of God to her. She said in that moment, it was the most incredible thing just to hear the word of God read aloud from one human being, a friend with faith to her, did the most incredible thing. It put fresh, fresh faith and courage into her heart as this friend read the word of God aloud to her. It's as if God met her, not, not just with the words, but it's as if God met her by saying, you, I know you're struggling. I know it's hard, but you're still in. These are, these are our promises together. You're not out there because of what you're going through, even though you do feel alone. No, these are ours together. You are in. And the word of God just kind of ministered to her and fresh faith came to her life, limping, but with a sense of belonging and purpose and promise of God to her. Jesus's words appropriated in your life lead to faith. I think also faith comes to us. You want to grow your faith? Faith comes as you see the power of Jesus in action. As I read this, as I see what Jesus does in this, this boy's life, faith comes to me. Faith comes to my life as well. Faith grows as we share with one another the, the things that Christ has done, the testimonies of what God has done in our lives. So let's be a people who encourage one another with faith. Okay, coming into land, one last question. But what if you pray and you believe and things still don't work out the way you hoped they would? I mean, this happens many times in my life. It certainly happens in yours as well. What happens when you pray and you believe and things don't work out the way you hoped? And uh, the honest truth is I don't have an easy answer here. This is no one size fits all. Yeah, sometimes we press on. Other times it's time to try and read what God is doing. I, I don't know and I'd never give a general answer to a kind of specific situation like this. But what I want you to know is that when this happens, we never walk this one on our own. 
It's this modern influence of Western culture that kind of tends when we find ourselves in these sorts of very difficult situations to drift into isolation. This is the worst thing you can do. In these hardest moments of our lives, like moments like the ones we're looking at, faith drives us deeper into family, deeper into community. And I don't mean like the whole church, I mean to a few people who you know and trust and who are walking with you. Faith drives us into family. You were born again into a spiritual family if you're a Christ follower. That's why the language of the scriptures is born again because it points to being born into a family. Uh, These ties are blood ties. They are significant ties. And we need to resist in these moments when things are not going the way we'd hoped and believed they would. Drifting into isolation. We need to lead ourselves deeper into community in those moments and we work it out together. Involve your leaders, your life group members, your life group leaders, your pastors. I want you to know we're here to walk these roads with you. We process these things together as we, as we walk these things and we lean into one another in these moments. As together, we learn to lean into Christ through prayer and faith as we discern his will. When we realize we don't have what it takes, we close even that gap of things not working out the way we'd hope. Again, with prayer and faith. As faith closes the gap between our temporarily unanswered prayers and questions with God's permanently perfect character. So let's put this together. The big idea today is the kind of people who will fill the city of Cape Town with a message, life and fame of Jesus. This is who we are as common grounders, are those who are learning to live by prayer and faith. We're those who are living by prayer and faith. We ask two questions. What do we learn about Jesus? What do we learn about what it looks like to follow him? About Christ, know that Jesus is compassionate and able and is moved by faith. Let's be a people who know Jesus is compassionate, he's able and he's moved by faith. And let's follow him into ministry and realize we don't have all that it takes and learn to rely on him through prayer and faith as we get on with the work that he's called us to do. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for the incredible invitation to be part of your ministry team, if you will, into the city of Cape Town. God, we help us to recognize today that we, we won't have what it takes for every situation you put us in. In fact, we don't, that there are various kinds of opposition and struggle that we, are fa- we will face. Various kinds of evil will come up against as we seek to push back darkness in our communities. God, it's in this moment now we declare We don't have what it takes and that's okay. And we ask God, would you put into us faith? Would you cause in these moments of crises we find ourselves in, cause us to come to you in prayer, to put our faith on you, Jesus, that we would see you, Jesus, move. I pray even Jesus, as people do that right now in this message, God, that we would see your hand move in response to faith. I pray, God, for a people that you would put in us the ability to put our faith on you. Take us beyond mustering and posturing and positive thinking to the realm of faith where we know the limitations of our faith, but we also know the object of our faith and we put it all on you, Jesus. More and more, we wanna be a people who slay bigger giants in our city. But we, we, we recognize that's gonna come as we put our faith on you. 
one last prayer I'd love to pray just as you sit there. If that's you, if, if you looking in would like to say, hey, I would like to live a life of faith. I, I still have questions, but I'd like to follow Christ. I'd love to, to lead you in a prayer whereby you can follow Christ. That, that's the prayer invitation right now. Would you like to become a follower of Jesus with your life, to join him into ministry, learning what that is, because you, you realize you don't have what it takes and you don't have to qualify yourself for that? I mean, that's just the thing. Jesus has qualified us through his life and his perfect death and, and his resurrection power bringing out of us more than we could ever be ourselves. I'd love to lead you in a prayer if that's you. So you put your faith on Jesus and cross that line of faith right now. Let me pray that prayer and you prayed in your own heart today. Jesus, right now, I realize I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to live a sinless and holy life. I don't have what it takes to serve you in ministry. But I'm so thankful that you do. You are able, Jesus. And right now, I want to ask Christ, make your life to count for my life. Jesus, I step off of my inadequacy and I start to lean on your adequacy. It's, a, it's, a, it's an exchange, if you will. Jesus, I, I lean onto your perfect life rather than my finite life, my frail life, my fallen life. And I lean onto your perfect life to be my righteousness and my right standing before God. You see that? I'm shifting from my own works to Jesus's works in relating to our Father. And I put my faith on you, Jesus, to say, Jesus, will you teach me? Will you make me? Will you, will you enable me to be your follower? Teach me to live like you. Teach me to follow you, God, as I take this step of faith now. Amen. If that was you, I want to encourage you to, to, to pick up, you'll see in the link to this uh, video, to follow the link to an Ignite booklet and to begin following Jesus, to take these words we spoke about and appropriate them into your life as you grow in faith. Have a fantastic day further. Go well.